So today is a different kind of episode. We're going to talk about something I would say is near and dear to my heart. I've got my friend Scott Kelby stopping by, and we're going to break down what you should expect from a photo critique. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. As always, a quick reminder for you, those of you watching on YouTube, you will find all the links down in the description below the like and subscribe buttons as well. I've got chapter markers there, and I just noticed I'm losing my voice a little bit, which is probably not the best way to start a show, but we'll we'll see where we go with it. But there are chapter markers on YouTube. You can jump around to whatever section of the show that you want. As well, show notes are always at the website at BehindTheShot.tv. I want to jump right into today, and the reason is the topic that we're going to discuss is something I'm super passionate about. I want to welcome back to the show. I got to do this right. I want to welcome back to the show, photographer author, educator, musician, and foodie, Mr. Scott Kelby. How are you, Scott? <laughs> I'm very well, Steve. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> it is, it is I like so the good. radio voice intro. That was very nice. Very kind of you. Thank you. I, I practiced it just for you. Um, <laughs> I, I have been so excited about this. When I pitched this idea to you, uh, and I know how busy you are, you immediately, like within 30 minutes, emailed me back and went, yep, great idea. So yes, super excited for this. You've been on the show many, many times already. People can find those shows over at BehindTheShot.tv. And most of my audience already knows, you know, the Scott Kelby of Kelby One and uh, Scott Kelby's Worldwide Photo Walk and Photoshop World, et cetera. They know Scott the man. What I'm curious about, rather than going, you know, that deep dive into Scott, what's new in your life, man? Anything people should be, you know, aware of, watching out for? Uh, no, right now my focus is uh, is making sure my dogs aren't scared when it thunders every day at four o'clock in Florida. <laughs> that's that's job one. Uh, they they just came scratching on the door a few minutes ago. I had to go out and hug them. They poor dogs are shaking. So that <laughs> that, that is. Uh, and, and they're, they're big dogs. The, the bigger the dog, our little tiny floofy dog is not scared of anything. Doesn't even care. Doesn't even realize it's thundering. But every day in Florida, it, it thunders for, you know, half an hour and it rains and then it's a beautiful day again. But uh, so right now my focus is making dogs calm. Uh, but uh, no, you know, I'm just uh, doing stuff. I'm always writing a book or something, working on a book. I just finished a book uh, called How Do I Do That in Photoshop? It's a uh, a major update to a book I wrote a few years ago. And, uh, you know, a lot's changed in Photoshop. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm doing workshops around the world. Uh, I've got one coming up in London in September. And I've done, uh, this year, I've done Tuscany and New York. And so uh, it's it's been, I really, really like that. I love doing workshops. It's so much fun. Great people in great places with great food and great pictures. It's just, you know, you're mixing all my favorite stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're mixing travel and people and food. It's awesome. And and I will say right up front, I have been to you teaching something for not one of your workshops. I, I need to do that one day. But I've seen you teach before. And you are what I call, okay, let me back up. First of all, I think Kelby One is the, the, uh, the dictionary definition of, of what online photo education should be. And I'm not saying that because you're here. I have said that when you're not here, but <laughs> thank you. I have seen you 
teach before. And actually, I think it was a Photoshop world once, and you were doing a class on printing from Lightroom that I, I honestly, I came away from thinking he is born to do this. What's your latest book you said, uh, the, the Photoshop one? It's uh, How Do I Do That in Photoshop is what it's called. So I have to ask you before we get into today's topic then, are you enjoying the new generative AI? I'm enjoying it. I'm freaked, a little freaked out about it. I'm concerned, but I'm telling you, there's there's a couple of times where it, it comes in so amazingly handy. This week, I had to submit some images uh, for a, a, a podcast. It was another podcast, and they needed 15 images. Uh, actually, it was a podcast for the folks at B and H. They needed 15 images, and it was all about portraits. And so I, I had this one image I wanted to send, but I realized it was crooked. When I straightened the image, the subject was sitting on like a little ottoman with four legs. Right. When I straightened it, it, it cut off the legs. I expanded the canvas in Photoshop. I selected the area and I said, do the AI generative fill. Steve, it was it was amazing. It put the floor in, it put the four little legs in, and it gave me three different sets of legs to choose from. But the lighting was right, the perspective was right, the length was, it's, it's really brilliant. It really is amazing. But, and that's a legitimate use for it. It's the illegitimate use. Yeah, yes. <laughs> there's, cause I mean, there's, there's times where I'm telling you, Steve, it just, it's just brilliant and it's so useful. But at the same time, you're, it's, 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 you're handing everybody the keys to the, to the, the test, before, you know, it's like you're passing out a test in high school and you're going, oh, here's your test and here's the answers. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of cheating. Uh, but when you need it, I'm t telling you, it's, it's brilliant. And, and, and I, to, to redo that in Photoshop myself, Steve, could I have done it? It would be hours, literally hours instead of 12 seconds. It was 12 seconds and gave me three different options. So right. I'm a little freaked out. I, I would say that uh, it's- <laughs> we, we were just in Dublin. Emotions. And in Dublin, we went to like the big- you know, National Gallery in Dublin. And I tried to do one of those photos because, you know, art galleries are always the same thing. It's a big room, then a doorway into another big room, into a doorway, into another big room. And if you look yep. down those doorways and line it up, there's a, always a piece of art hanging in the middle of the wall that could line up to the doorways. And all I had with me was my phone. And I thought, I want to take this shot. So I, I take the shot. And when I bring it home, uh, there is, you know, a little piece of a bench in one of the rooms that you can kind of see. There's a foot sticking out that somebody was sitting on a bench. There's pieces of frames in the main room that I was in. There's a giant statue, all of them casting bizarre shadows. That's where it would have taken time for me to clone everything out and repair the image to just have walls, doorways, and a picture at the end. Generative AI. I selected the areas. I got three options. It patched the wood floor. One of those options, I couldn't tell that it wasn't the original wood floor. Um, yeah, it's we're we're in for some really fun but but scary things. Um today's Agreed. today's post. So let me set this up for a second, okay? You do with actually let's start here. You do regular blind photo critiques on your show, The Grid. You yeah. do them usually with Eric Kuna. I think you've had other guest people on doing it as well. Yep. How how long have you been doing these blind photo critiques? 
for many years. Uh, the show's been on over 10 years. We've done over 500 episodes. Uh, so I'm going to say we've probably been doing it five, six years easily. Okay. Periodically on your blind photo critiques, you do a topic. Other times it's open blind photo critique. And yeah. I think, honestly, you're one of the best people I've ever seen at critiquing images for a number of different reasons, right? Last week, you had posted, hey, submit your images for this week's blind photo critique. And I was sharing it on Twitter. And I have been thinking about getting Scott Kelby, trying to get Scott Kelby back on the show because I love talking to you. I'm a fan of your work, uh, not to mention, you know, you. And as I was sharing your Twitter post, your tweet about, hey, submit your images, literally a light bulb went off in my head. I ran out of the room to my wife and said, I've got a way to get Scott Kelby back on the show. And it was this topic. A few years ago, you wrote a blog post and the blog post was called What to Expect from a Photo Critique. Now, I have probably shared this blog post right here a hundred or more times, easily, right? At the time you you wrote this, I was doing monthly image critique shows with Don Komarechka. Do you know Don? Sure, I know Don. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so Don and I were doing these, and then Don moved from Bulgaria to Canada, and they kind of faded away because the time difference made it difficult. But when you shared this and we were doing those, and by the way, I periodically judge local image competitions. Same situation here. This blog post became part of my regular pre-show disclaimer. Hey, before we do this image critique, you need to go read Scott Kelby's blog post at scottkelby.com, what to expect from a photo critique, right? It is exactly what I needed at the time. So let's start with this. Why should people get image critiques outside of their friends and their family and their social circle. Okay. Before I address that though, Steve, I just want to make something clear to your viewers and to your listeners. You did not need a special topic to get me on your show. <laughs> you know, all it would take is an email. I love your show. I'm a fan of your show. I'm always telling people about your show. I'm on my show telling people about your show. All you would ever have to do. You're a friend. I would be on anytime. And I love talking with you now. Let's Appreciate get to that the very much. So, so what it is, is this is what I've just found about photography in general. There are a few things that we never, ever discuss. One of them is actual talent. We're forbidden to ever say that some people have a talent and that some people are better than others. And we never, ever say that someone's bad at photography, no matter how bad they are. The idea behind us doing blind photo critique is that we can finally get you a an honest critique of your work because you're not going to go to your wife and go, honey, what do you think of my work? And you go, you're just not very good. You need to sell your gear. Right. And you know, you're, you're, you're not going to go and your and your husband or is, is a bad photographer or your wife's a bad photographer. And you're going to go, sweetheart, it's time to try something else. You're just bad. You're a bad photographer. And because your spouse thinks you're great and your kids are going to think you're great and your friends aren't going to tell you. Um, and, and, and can I tell you a story about that, Steve, real quick? Yeah, do, do, do. So uh, 
So a, a big company had me in to speak to their photographers. So it's a California-based big company. And they said, we have a group of photographers who would like you to come and talk to them. And I talked to them and uh, they said, hey, we got this 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 one gal in our uh, group and she's a photographer and um, and uh, uh, she wants to, she asked to sit next to you. And I said, okay. And, I, and she comes in with her portfolio and, and we're having dinner and she's with her portfolio. And I'm like, uh-oh, I know what this is. So yeah. that's why she wanted to sit next to me. And she says, hey, after dinner, could you take a look at some of my work? I said, sure. I, I, I open her portfolio and the first image was, was really bad, Steve. It was just a bad photo. But I'm thinking, oh, well. And I start looking through it and I tell her, I'm going to look at all the images and then we'll talk. So I go through it and Steve, it got worse and worse. Like the first image was her best image and it was terrible. And I get through the whole thing and Steve, all I can think is as I'm turning pages is what am I going to tell her? Like, how do I get out of this gracefully? Because this this woman, it would be like walking up to a person that's never played a saxophone, handing them a saxophone and say, see what you can do. You know, it's going to just be terrible. That's the kind of feel she had for photography. She just had no feel for it at all. Just tremendously bad stuff. It would be that case where you would go, honey, it's time to sell your gear. So we get to the end and, uh, and she's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I think you need to focus. I'm trying to find some way to be nice because I don't want to say, look, your stuff is trash. So anyway, at some point she's like, okay, thanks. And, you know, I, it was a, a very muted, you know, response. I don't want to lie to her and say, hey, this is great stuff. I tried to give her something that would help. She gets up and she goes to the restroom and everybody, all the other people at the table come running over and go, what did you think? And I'm like, well, and they're going, she's terrible, right? She's awful. They're all like, and I went, oh, yes. Oh, she's horrendous. And they're like, yeah, she's the worst. All of her friends, they all know how humiliating and embarrassing. And she's telling me these stories, how she's talking to a, you know, like a, a big gallery in LA and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, honey, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to that, that gallery. But her, the whole room of friends that are all photographers, no one would tell her. So the reason why we make our critiques blind is we can actually say, you know, this is not good. You know, we can tell you, or if it's good, we can tell you and you know, you're getting, we're not blowing smoke because we don't even know who you are. I just number everything grid one, grid two, grid three. So I'm looking at their images. I don't know who they are. And what if it's one of my friends? You know, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I just want to give them the truth. And sometimes the truth is not what they wanted to hear. And we get, Steve, we get letters sometimes from people that we have critiqued. They are nasty. They're mean. They mention my mother. It goes really deep. It goes, it goes very badly sometimes. However, we have a weird track record. Somebody will send us a scathing letter with, with words that are unprintable. And then very often, months later, we'll get another email that says, you know, I, I thought about what you said and take a look at these images now and you were right. And their images are like night and day. So we do get some wins in there. We do take some losses. We take some L's, Steve. <laughs> but we do get some people that after the fact and they've, they've calmed down and stuff and all kind of, they, they, the ones that are willing to take it to heart 
actually see a transformation in their photography. The people that go, oh, you guys are crazy. You know what you're talking about. Um, then I can't help. You can't help people that don't want to be helped. And I think in a, in a lot of cases, they are con they are convinced that their work is good. And I have you, Steve, have you ever heard of a thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect? I've heard of it, but have I'm not sure I could tell you what it is. Yeah. It's, it's a psychological state in which someone who's very poor at something honestly believes they're really, really good at it. Like they believe American that they're Idol. better than their... Yeah. yeah. Yes. Like the people on American Idol that go in there and they sing their hearts out and they're horrendous. So that happens, I think, a lot in photography. And uh, I mean, let me, let me put that in context. I think it happens from time to time. It's not every other photographer. But uh, and so when they send their images in, they're expecting a pat on the back like, oh, right. this stuff is great. Yep. You're, you're gifted. You need to be entering competitions. You know, you're wasting your time sending your stuff in here. You should be collecting your prizes. Um, and when they hear like, oh, this isn't very good and we're explaining why, oh, Steve, it doesn't go well for us. But but that's that's why we do the blind critiques. I think it's you want I, I want to be able to tell them the truth. I want to be able to to be honest with them. And and I remember I I had a guest on doing critiques once. And this and this photographer, we looked at their work and it was bad. It was just bad. And the photographer that was my guest was kind. He was very nice. Okay, you got some good stuff here. And, and we're looking at the images. And as soon as we go to commercial, that my guest goes, oh, my God, that was absolute. And he used all kinds of colorful language to describe it. And he was right. It was terrible. And I turned to him and said, but you just said it was good. You just told them that they were doing it. And he was like, Holy, because it does nobody good to tell nope. a lie in this stuff. This you're sending him in to move your career forward. And Steve, I've had some, I've had image critiques from Dave Black, who is my hero in sports photography, from Joe McNally, who's my hero in portrait photography. I've had some absolutely brutal ones where I told him, I said, "Look, I know we're friends." You got to give it to me straight. And they're like, okay. And we're sitting there, Steve, and they're looking at my stuff and they're going, why is this in your portfolio? What is, what is this? Why is this here? And I'm like, it's not anymore. Delete. <laughs> I was editing my portfolio as we're sitting together. Taking them out. And the key thing there is, though, those critiques were not blind. They knew who you were. And I have that type of situation periodically where you know who it is. I have people on the podcast, listeners of the podcast, email me periodically without asking first. Here's 10 images. Tell me what you think. And I, I want to be nice. I don't have a lot of time, but okay, I want to be nice. So I'll go through each one if I have time and I'll give you a little bit of critique. But I always start with like two paragraphs of disclaimer that basically say, look, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to help you if I blow air up your skirt, right? I am just going to, tell you the blunt force trauma truth so that you can get better. I firmly believe that image critiques are one of the fastest ways to improve your photography, but you have to be Absolutely. willing to listen to it. And so I go through this whole thing of, look, if I, if I insult an image that you absolutely love, understand you're totally uh, uh, capable of still loving it, even though I think it's a piece of crap. But I'm going to tell you if it's a piece of crap. And here's a good example for me. 
of where image critique from somebody you know that's right in front of you, but you trust, just kind of burst your bubble. I'm at um, I'm at a Photoshop. Oh no, I think it was WPPI with Frederick Van Johnson, and he introduces me. That was the day I first met Renee Robin. And I had my buddy, Troy Miller, with me. Troy's an amazing wedding photographer, award-winning wedding photographer, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm introducing Troy and Renee. Troy's going to, if he watches this, he's going to absolutely kill me for this. But uh, I'm like, oh, show her some of your work. He pulls out his phone, pulls up one of his photos that he loves, and it happened this fast. He handed her the phone and she went like this. Swapped out the sky, huh? And he goes, uh, may- maybe. But in that instant, she caught that he did a, I wouldn't even call it bad, but a swap out on the sky that was obvious to somebody that knows what they're looking for. And yeah. it changed the way he looked at his images moving forward and made him better at that type of edit. It's really key. In fact, you have a section in here Um where you talk about the fact that it's it, you're not giving blind praise, right? You're giving blind critique. And one of the things that I I found in the article that I thought was fascinating was because I see this, I suggest this in image competitions that people do this. Sometimes you give bad critiques and people fix. I don't want to use the word fix; it's the wrong word. But people work on the things that you say were flawed in the image and resubmit the images. Is that, is that true? That happens quite often where that, where they will go and they'll fix them or they'll go out and reshoot them. A lot of times they reshoot Steve, like the, I'll go, look, you took this picture of this horse in this pasture and there's a fence behind it. And you know, there's a sign and there's, I can see car headlights and you know, if you could have positioned yourself in a different way, and they go back and reshoot it and they send it another picture. And Steve, it's night and day, night yep. and day. And, and that's such a win for us. For us as educators, we want results, right? We want to see you get better. We want to, when we see that you took our advice and it, it, it made you better and you know it made you better and everyone watching knows, that's that's the home run for an educator. Yeah. That's what yeah. we want. We, we want to, when you do better, it 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 makes us happy. It completes our circle, right? It's a, that's the circle. We're teaching you to do this thing. You do it, and you come back, and, and we're like it lights us on fire. That's our our favorite thing. Well, and I used to say when I again image competition, which is not critique per se, but it's similar in that you don't know who made the picture, and you're making comments and judging an image in a way. And I have made the comment before that look, you can sit and watch Scott Kelby and Eric Kuna critique your image blind. And you can be as angry as you want at everything they're saying, screaming to the top of your lungs, they don't understand my art. But here's the thing. If in what they say, there is one sentence that makes you go, I I never knew somebody would see that in that image. Right? I never knew anybody would notice that in that image or think of that in that image, or I didn't think of that in that image. If one of those moments happens in a critique, it's 100% worth it and going to make you better. You actually mention in the post some of what you're kind of looking for when you do a critique. It actually reminded me or 
uh, you know, s- struck kind of a parallel to PPA. They have, when they do image competitions, they have the 12 elements of a merit image. And you're looking at a lot of the same stuff, technical stuff like focus, exposure, lighting, yeah. composition. I love the fact that you also take into account, which I don't think a lot of photographers do. You made the example of, um, uh, and it might've been in the green room of, there are those photographers that technically understand a camera, but don't understand necessarily storytelling or photography or composition or yeah. impact. Like you look at impact too. How do you sum up to people what you're looking for in an image when you critique it? Well, really, it's kind of what you just said. I think the biggest thing is initial impact. Like you either look at the image and you go, ooh, or you don't say anything. And and I'll tell you, Steve, I've been in these judging situations for for the Guru Awards for many, many years, right? 25 years I've been on that panel, and I wind up judging on all kinds of different panels all over the world for room. When you do it live and you're in a room with 15 people, it is amazing how you're looking at me. Let's say you're trying to whittle it down from 120 finalists to find the top five or something. You're in the room and the images come up on a huge screen. And and let's say there's 15 judges and an image comes up and you're like, okay. And another image comes up and you'll hear somebody say, I kind of like that one. And another image comes up and another image. And then an image comes up and simultaneously 15 people go, ooh. Yep. You know that that image has impact. And and I can look at all the technical stuff, Steve. Is it is it in focus? Um, it, you know, is the horizon line where it should be? Is there things sticking in from the outside? You can do all that stuff. You can have every single technical thing be absolutely spot on. And it is still a lifeless, soulless, boring, perfectly <laughs> executed shot, right? That's not what makes a great shot. Steve, I remember going to Photo Plus, uh, or it could have been WPP. No, it was, I think it was Photo Plus in New York. And when you used to walk in, there's, you know, the big Canon booth and all stuff. But over to the right, they had their gallery. And I remember going over to the gallery, and there was this big print here right up front. And the sky was blown out, right? It was completely blown out. And it, and the, sh- the shot wasn't as sharp as it could have been. It was a little bit of noise in it and stuff. And I, and I really couldn't see because of the big blue ribbon on the front. It won. It was the grand prize winner because it was a fantastic shot. It had technical things that were wrong with it. But every artistic thing was on the money, and it won. It was literally the first one in. It was the grand prize winner. And you could sit there, and and, and Steve, if I showed you the shot, you'd give me the five things that are wrong with it technically, and then you'd go, how much? How much can I buy that for? I want it in my house. You know, it's like it was – and I think that is the the thing that people failed to – so many photographers are worried about noise and they're worried about all oh. these technical things. And and when the whole rest of the world just wants to see a great image and we're worried about noise and we're going up to this image and we're looking at it from three inches away going, yep, there's a little noise up here. You know, and the whole rest of the world wants to see a great image, but the only people that care about noise are photographers. It's the whole rest of the world couldn't care less. 
and and we get involved and worried about all these dumb dumb things where we're we're focused so much on getting it technically accurate when it's the art and the, and that makes us fall in love with it you know a wonderful composition an interesting composition an interesting subject those are what what makes the world go round it's like you know, I remember I used to show this example uh, of this shot of the Eiffel Tower and, and I would and I showed it and it was and I said, look at this shot. It's, it's blown out. It's just I named all the things that were wrong with it. And as I'm talking to the audience, I had a, it was in a slideshow and I had a very slow dissolve go. So maybe a 30 second dissolve. And it was the National Geographic shot of the year. And so while we're critiquing it and picking all the things that were wrong with it, it goes, yeah, they, and you see the yellow border appear around it. And it's like, it's, I'm trying to make the point is we're all focused on the wrong stuff. And that happens so often in these critiques. There's so often that, that people are, they're like, well, I did everything right. I said, you did. It just has no soul. It has, it's, nothing makes me want to buy this and hang it on my wall. And so when we're judging competitions, I think that is the big thing that tilts it in your favor. Like when that thing happens and 15 people simultaneously go, ooh, and they all lean forward, you know, market is a finalist. Yep. I mean, you know, it's going to make that, you know, and then if you have 12 of those and you have to get down to five, it's murder. It's so bad getting down to, you know, people don't realize how, how tough these, when you're do, doing a photo competition, how tough the judging is. When I have to do the worldwide photo walk, you know, you're going to get judged second judge to Sunday. And there are images that I know that are wonderful that have every right to win. But at the end of the day, I can only pick one. And it's, it's, it's very, very challenging and frustrating. And you want to give everybody a prize that has a great image. But at the end of the day, you know, some images are better than others. And you, and you have to then, at a, at a certain point, your own personal taste comes in. Uh, years ago, we made sure that our judging was equally men and women, because when it was men, you bring up a picture of an automobile and every, every guy was like, that's a finalist, everyone. And then, you know, the first time that, that we, we brought women in, they were like, what's well, a stupid car. <laughs> They're like, why are you, that's nothing, you know? And we realized, wow, it, it was so tainted, you know, that we, that we, we evened it out and it needed to be because you know, guys look at things a certain way, you know, we're kind of caveman-esque. <laughs> Gronk-like car, Gronk-like picture of turkey leg, you Ooh, know. It's nice like, wheels. It's funny because yeah, you we, mentioned we, <laughs> you mentioned not wanting to buy a shot. And I have this weird thing in my head when, when I look at a shot that I like, I always imagine, imagine it being that shot that's printed large behind a receptionist in a law firm. Like, could I see that shot being put behind a receptionist in a high-end law firm? The other thing you mentioned that I, I is my mantra. Like, my mantra is ignore the noise. I, I shoot in a genre where we live at 3,200, 6,400, 10,000, 12,800 ISO. We have noise in our shots. There, it's just going to happen. Some of the most iconic images of my life, I'm older, but of my day, are full of noise are full of motion blur because in those days they were shooting film and they're iconic images still. And nobody walks up to him and goes, well, damn, that one's not sharp. 
because it was, you know, Mick Jagger in 1968 dancing on a stage. You have two things that I think are the best description, though, of uh, a failed image. In the blog post, you actually talk about one of them, taking a, a photo of a cup of coffee and putting the background out of focus does not make a great shot. And by the way, it doesn't make a great cup of coffee either. But you have, I've heard you do it a million times. I'm not even going to try and paraphrase it. I'll let you do it. But you describe when you see people submit shots of flowers and how a flower shot, it's a flower, <laughs> right? Explain, exp I'm, I'm hoping you know what I'm talking about, but explain it for people. Yeah. Well, when I when I when I talk about this, I I, I bring up one of my own flower shots, and and it's it is not a good flower shot. I, I remember where I took it; it's just not any good. Uh, but I I did everything right, right? And so the the story is: a woman comes to me uh, at one of my seminars, my one of my one day seminars, and she comes and says, "Hey, you know, um, uh, would you look at my portfolio?" I said, "Yeah, stick around at the end of the day; I'd be happy to look at it." And it's she's all she takes is flowers. And I open it up and I'm going through it and we get to the end and she goes, what do you think? And I'm like, they're okay. And she's like, really? I'm like, they're all right. And, and I go, it kind of looks like you just walked in your backyard and shot whatever was back there. And she's like, that's what I did. And I go, that's what it looked like. And so I opened the first one and she goes, well, show me what you mean. And I go, well, look, this one's missing petals. You got some brown spots. You got weird branches coming off here. And as we go through, I'm, I'm pointing out all this stuff. And a lot of it, it's just they're not good looking flowers to begin with. You know, when you shoot flowers, flowers are beautiful. You better choose a perfect flower. It better be on the money. If it's got, you know, petals that are going in different directions and all this different stuff. And, and you know, just weird branches. And, you know, so she did. And I said, you did everything right. You did all the technical stuff. You got down low. You shot with the right lighting. You used the right lens. You used the right settings. The background was out of focus. There was separation. But they're just not good-looking flowers. They're just kind of meh. You know, but what was, what was neat, Steve? The light bulb went on. And I would turn the page, and she would go, uh, missing petals, brown spots, oh. the, and like she got it. She like the light bulb really came on. And what I told her, I said, look, if you want to make great flower shots, go to a florist. Just go to a florist and tell them, hey, I'm a photographer and, and I want to take a photo. Now, you're a stranger that walked in the door. They don't know anything about you. Steve, they will take you behind the counter, go back there into the cooler, and they will go through with you and pick out the absolute perfect flower where every petal is perfect there's no discoloration the spacing is on the money and you know what they generally charge you for this custom service it's usually one dollar one dollar they'll wrap it up and hand it to you and go will you please send me a shot of it when you're done and i, I know this because I did a tour where I did a flower shoot during the day. So every city, 24 cities, I had to go to a florist that morning. When you tell them you're going to take a photograph, florists didn't become florists because it was a get-rich-quick scheme. Right. <laughs> they became florists because they love flowers. They love being surrounded by flowers. And you're saying, I want to photograph something you love. They get immediately invested in it and for $1. And I told her, I said, buy a great flower 
Go into your backyard and do everything you did. Do all the technical stuff right. But understand that the technical stuff is step one. That's the first part. That's not the end game. That's expected. That's what you got to do. Right. That's exactly. like the exactly. minimum door to entry. Yeah, exactly. Then and you put a great flower there and now you're now you work the composition. Because you're already at a disadvantage. Like you say, flowers are already beautiful in three dimension and you're taking that beautiful three-dimensional object and making it into a flat two-dimensional object. You're already removing some of what makes that flower beautiful. So if you just go, yeah, it, it's uh, okay. So there is a thing in, in image critiques that I call, let me explain. It's one of my favorite things because so many times after critiquing somebody's image, I would get an email and sometimes it was what Don said during the photo critique, but they'd email me because it was on behind the shot. Someone would would email me or come up to me, like I say, after after something saying, no, 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 you were wrong, right? If only you'd known the hardships that I went through to get that image or what the crowd was like or what the music sounded like or, oh, the, you know, insert your explainer here. Like this, it's, oh, the odors were beautiful. I could smell the pasta. Then I would surely understand what they were doing. Explain something to me. I, you, you, right? It's oh, it's absolutely Steve. crazy. I go through You're this whole me. thing. I go through this whole thing where I tell them, your backstory does not matter, right? And you paraphrase Jay Maisel actually in this in this blog post that we're talking about on on uh, what to expect from a photo critique. And down here near the bottom, you've got this quote that you think was from Jay Maisel. Explain why their backstory doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, Jay said it. I just, I, I didn't write it down as he said it. But what Jay said is, look, your picture has to stand on its own merits by itself. If your picture is hanging in a gallery, you don't get to stand behind it. And as people walk by and shake their head that it's not any good, you go, no, no, but you don't realize it's really much better than it. You don't understand the artist's thinking or what I was thinking about and all this kind of, you don't get to sell it and explain it. It has to stand on its own. And, uh, and, and that I think is, is such a huge thing. And I think a lot of photographers, you know, and I'll give you an example. So, Let's say that uh, that you you have this shot and and you show it to me, right? And, and you go, oh, Scott, let me tell you, this was this was a challenge. So I was I was hiking one day and I went hiking hiking and I saw a stream down there and then it was kind of steep and I kind of made my way down and I slipped on the way down and I almost hurt myself and then I I went into the water because I wanted to get this one shot of the stream and unfortunately the water was freezing it was absolutely freezing so anyway I get out there and there's this one flat rock and I get on the flat rock and oh my god here comes a bear a bear comes right down the stream I'm like oh my gosh but then a big salmon jumped up and the bear grabbed it and the bear went the other way and I'm like oh it was just like the whole thing and I, my I almost dropped my camera in the water and it was just the it was just amazing and it's just it and then trying to get back up oh it was incredible and I go oh yeah it, it, it looks like a stream I'm literally crying I, I don't, from that story I don't that was know hilarious. or care I don't even know where care what happened it's either a good shot or not to me I go oh yeah it's a stream 
Exactly. I don't know the story and it doesn't make it better or it doesn't make it worse. It makes it better for you, the photographer. But for me looking at it, it's just a shot of a stream and it's either a great shot of a stream or an average shot of a stream or you know what I mean? It's like, and I think that's what you're referring to is people want you to, you know, sometimes you took a shot and, and you were with your wife or you're with your girlfriend and it was a beautiful day. You were just having the best day. And when you see that shot, all the emotions from that glorious day come back to you and you love that shot. So Steve, I have a quick story. We had a guy uh, that was a friend of ours as a photographer and he had this image that was just not good. It was just simply, but he loved this image. He saw something in it that nobody else saw. I have to imagine it was one of those scenarios where it was the perfect day or, or, and this happens I think a lot, Steve, where someone always wanted to get a shot like that. All right, let's just say it was not of the Brooklyn Bridge. Let's just say it's the Brooklyn Bridge. They always wanted to get one. And one day they go to to, to, the, to Brooklyn and they shoot the bridge or they shoot it from Queens or whatever, from Dumbo. And they've got this great shot to them. But to everybody else, it's like, oh, yeah, I've seen that shot. And that's the, that's the bridge. Every anyway, person that walked across shot. that bridge took that shot. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyway, he has this shot and we all got together, all of his friends, literally, we had an intervention (laughs) and we went to him and we sat him down and we said, dude, you need to take that shot out of your portfolio. And he's like, but I love that shot. And we're like, I know. And it stinks. It's not a good shot. And we're not leaving until you literally take it out of your portfolio. Steve, we made him open up, (laughs) open up his website. Go and take it out before we would leave. We stood in front of the door and wouldn't let him leave until he removed that shot. And it was a terrible shot. It's just not good. And I don't know what, none of us, none of us can imagine what in the world that he sees it. But it's an emotional attachment that he has that only he has. The rest of the world is shrugging their shoulders. What's this doing in there? And he's like, there's that shot. It's the smells, it's the the music, it's the fact that he only had 30 minutes at 12 noon in harsh daylight during a family vacation, and the wife was mad at him to capture it. And what people don't understand is when you're you're critiquing an image, we weren't there, right? Mm -hmm. We're looking at your photo the way a random viewer in Poughkeepsie would look at that photo having never been to the bridge. Right. And by the way, you and I talked about this in, in the, uh, the green room. One of the other things that drives me nuts is in, in competitions, often images are always named and what'll happen is they'll announce the name of the shot first brief pause. So the judges get something in their head, right? And then they show the shot. It is not helping you if you know, your, your amazing landscape image, if you take it and name it run puppy run. But when we look at it, the dog is so small, we don't even see it. Uh, that happened at, you mentioned image competitions at, at uh, photo expo plus, And I was at WPBI once and there was a shot actually that got, you know, gold or whatever in, in wedding photography. And it was a beautiful shot. I mean, it really was a beautiful shot, but I was left as I looked at it and it did well, the judges clearly loved it. I must be wrong, but it was a a photo of the side of a building. They got all the lines, right? 
right? It was good real estate photo, a good architecture photo. And it must have been in this shot, 10 stories with balconies. And in one balcony in a random position, like where's Waldo was a bride and groom. Of course, half of them you couldn't see because the balcony had a railing around it. It's like, you know, you have to understand we weren't there. And you've got a section on here called the value of truth. Giving honest critiques, right? It's just as important as people doing the critique, a you or an Eric or whoever. It's just as important when you're giving an honest critique that the person submitting the image, and this is to me is kind of what we're talking about. The person submitting the image come in with the right attitude, right? So oh, yeah. we, we kind of understand the value of truth or hopefully at this point, people to understand the value of, you just got to be honest. But what is the attitude? If you were talking to somebody, because a lot of people are afraid to do this, right? They know they're going to get ripped. They're afraid to get ripped. But in reality, they need to submit images and get ripped to get to the next level. That to me is the whole point of image critique, taking you to the next level in your photography. So how do you explain to somebody that's nervous doing this or won't do it because of nerves or fear, what attitude they should have? Well, you have to, you have to be at a point in your career where you genuinely want to get better. I think a lot of photographers would have to admit that they're stuck at a plateau. Like a lot of photographers, and that that is part of the progression. You know, you go for a while, and you get a little better, and you get a little better, and you get a little better. You know what I mean? But you go for long periods of times where you, you're kind of stuck, and then you need something to move you to the next level. Sometimes it just happens, but oftentimes it's an event that that makes it happen. And I think this could be one of those events, and doing these regularly can be one of these events. And I think. You know, I always tell photographers in the first place that every photographer needs to have a portfolio. And I think the reason why is, how in the world do you know where you are as a photographer if you haven't taken your images and, and said, these are my best 24? Try, uh, you yeah. know, it, it's very, very hard. And, and so I talk to people who have thousands of images on their computer and I go, so where are your best ones? Well, what do you mean? Like, where are your best 20? Like, if I asked to see your best 24 images, I would say that most photographers cannot tell you. They're on their computer somewhere. They haven't really gone to do it. But but the simple act of putting together a portfolio, and you can go to Adobe to uh, myportfolio.com, and for free, you can put up a portfolio tonight. It's included with your Adobe Creative Cloud subscription. If you spend 10 bucks a month for Adobe's thing, you get a free portfolio. It's already pre-designed. You just drop your images, choose the template you want. It's very simple. But when you do that, it forces you to take a, a critical look at your own work. And one of three things is going to happen. You're going to realize, I'm not very good. <laughs> that means you need a critique. Number two is... I'm, a, I'm, I'm better than I thought I was. Or number three, holy crap, I'm phenomenal, in which case you have the Dunning-Kruger effect. So, so because this is, you know, photography does not have a finish line. It literally doesn't. You know, you, you never get to a point where you think, man, I'm just so good. I don't need to learn anything new. I know everything. I'm the man. 
you never get to that. It's the journey that we enjoy, right? It's it's right. getting better and everyone gets better. Like so like one of my heroes I mentioned earlier is Joe McNally. If I went to Joe and we were having dinner and I said, "Hey Joe, I I've got a secret that'll make you a better photographer." What do you think Joe would say? Do you think Joe would go, "I don't want to hear it. I'm already too good." I'm already so good. Are you kidding me? Joe McNally, one of the best photographers in the world, people they study in colleges and universities at yep. this point and will study forever. He'll be one of those guys that they will study his work long after he's gone. He'd be the first guy to lean forward and go, really? What do you got? Like he wouldn't, he couldn't wait to learn the next new thing. That's part of this journey. So where to go to your question, Steve, is where do you need to be? You need to be at a point in your career where you legitimately want to move forward and you're willing to listen to someone else and it's got to be somebody you trust. You mentioned that earlier, Steve. It's got to be somebody whose opinion you trust. There are photographers in your local photo group who would love nothing else more to move you down because they feel it moves them up in yep. the hierarchy of the local photo group. Don't go to that person. You've got to go to someone who genuinely has your best interests at heart. Listen to what they say. Now, if it is somebody that you trust, you've got to figure, okay, I'm going to try what they said. And my guess is you're going to have great results and you're going to see them immediately. If you really take to heart what your critiquer tells you and you go and you do this thing, I think you're going to see amazing results. I think you are going to see exactly what you're hoping for, and it's going to make a difference in your photography from that day forward. Uh, I remember things that Joe McNally and that Dave Black and some of the people that I've had critiques with have told me, and it changed my photography from that minute. Like, I knew. I could tell, number one, that they were, they were telling me these things not to hurt me, they were telling me to help me, and they made huge differences. I think it is one of the most impactful things. You said it earlier, and I 100% agree. I think it is one of the short. There are a few shortcuts in photography. That's one of them. You want a shortcut? Sit with somebody you trust and let them tell you the truth. Get an honest. The way I usually word it is you need to get an honest critique from a trusted source. Because yep. a lot of what we're talking about is not a blind critique. It's somebody that does know who shot the image. Yep. And you need them to be that person that's willing to break down that barrier of friendship, willing to have you mad at them or embarrassed in front of them or angry at them or disappointed in themselves with the overarching goal of them improving. One of the things you end with actually in this in this blog post is a section called learning from other people's critiques or what I call someone else's pain. <laughs> and that is, is so many people would jump into our critiques and, and fast forward after the fact or only want to watch for their image. And right. the problem with that is I argue for me, I can only speak to me. I learn more. I'm a music photographer. I'm nowhere near great. But I know my music photography pretty well. I learn more from learning from people like you or McNally or Rick Salmon or 
Richard Horowitz or David Bergman, who's also music, but can shoot pretty much damn near anything or a Peter Hurley who shoots nothing like what I shoot. Right. I learn more. I learned from people that are landscape photographers, which I'm horrible at and can't do and don't want to do. That's where I learned foreground, midground, background subject. Right. So learning from other people's critiques to me is absolutely just as important, but there is one area before we close out that I I need to get to. And that is, we're talking about other people critiquing us, but there are times we have to critique ourselves. You mentioned you, the, the intervention to make somebody remove a photo from their portfolio. Well, they already critiqued themselves when they picked it, right? You may have to critique yourself when you've got 100 shots, but you need to deliver only 20 to a client, and you need to cull that 100 down to 20, or picking the images you know, for your portfolio. If you were to give one tip to people to better critique their own work, what would it be? This is going to sound self-serving when I tell you this. I did a course called How to Critique Your Own Work, and it's over at Kelby One, and it, it I cover all different genres. So I do how to critique your landscape work, how to critique your portraits, how to critique your sports photos. And, and what I give you, though, and this is important, is how to make sure that you don't have the technical mistakes. Art is art. It's really, really tough, but you can get burned by technical stuff. So what it does, and I even give you checklists that you can download. And so you can say, did I do all these things correctly or all these things right? Then once you've got all the technical stuff and every box is checked, then you have to look at the artistic merit of it. But what you don't really want to have is a really great artistic shot that has every technical mess. It's out of focus and there's all these other issues. So what I would tell people is, um, if you can, go watch that class. It is called How to Critique Your Own Work. And it and I tell you, I go into the great detail to let you know, you can have everything checked here and it won't make a great shot. However, these are the things that kill great shots. These are the shot killers. So I think that it would get you to a point with your photography where you can have someone you trust, then look at the creative side of the image, look at the artistic side, but you don't want to get burned with the technical side. There's technical reasons for a reason, but it's, it's, I don't think the technical is as important as the, the impact and the artistic. But if you get the technical out of the way and the technical's right, then you can really focus on that. And you don't spend a lot of time worrying about noise and crazy stuff because you've already got all that covered. And instead, you're actually not focusing on the settings and you're not focusing on the dumb stuff. You've become immune to that stuff. Now, now you know what you're doing and you know what you're looking for. And you're going you're gonna to do these things to get it technically correct. And then the art comes through. So uh, it does sound a bit self-serving. Uh, but uh, Not at all. It, it, I, th- yeah, I, I think, think that it, would be... It, it's helped so many people... I've gotten so many emails from people that told me that that was a game changer for them. So I do, I kind of hate to plug my own thing there as the answer to a question, but I do think that that it's very helpful. Also, I, I would say to everybody, uh, we do uh, our blind critiques on the grid once a month. Uh, we air on Wednesdays at one o'clock East Coast time. And the day before, if you follow me on social, the day before I say, hey, send in three of your best images, upload them here. Now, understand we get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of images 
submitted for every show. And some people get upset that theirs didn't get chosen. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just I'm trying to pick images that we can help people. Sometimes there's no sense in me opening up three images and go, dang, you're awesome. Right. All of your stuff is great. I mean, we do that from time to time because we want people to see what is a good image. Right. So but the critique part of it doesn't really help anybody other than to see, wow, I see why that guy's flower images are so darn good, because we'll explain why this is so good. We'll say this is why these images are brilliant and we'll ex explain why. But uh, to answer your question, I, I would tell people to do both of those. Submit your images to the grid and know that when we do it, we're trying to make you better. Even if we say things that don't make you happy, we're trying to push you, push you down the road. We want you to, to succeed. We want to see you making great photos. And we've seen so many instances where people who have that right attitude that Steve's talking about, they're opening to hear an ideas and they're not just looking for a pat on the back. Um, don't send in your images looking for a pat on the back. Sending your images looking for how can I make this better? And we'll tell you. We'll tell you straight up. Here's what, and, and a lot of people, they, they, they tell us, I, I never wasn't even looking at those things that you pointed out. I just, you know. Exactly. Sometimes we're photographers. I'm looking at the waterfall. Is it silky? Yep, done. And they don't see the tree branches. They don't see that the color's off. They don't see all these technical issues, and they don't see that sometimes a waterfall is like, yep, it's a waterfall. I've well, seen and, it. I've seen it And before. it's like what you said about learning from other people's critiques. If they don't pick your shots for, for the photo critiques on the grid, watch anyway and learn, you know, look at the picture that they pull up and see how you would critique it. That will help you. When you go through Lightroom, don't go through slow. Go through fast. Stop at the image that has impact. And then yes. once you get that impact, you know, move on from, from that impact. I mean, David Bergman's got a great uh, uh, YouTube video for Adorama TV of how he culls so many pictures after a show so quickly. And part of it is the first pass is not slow. The first pass is quick and you're looking for you know, that impact. Before we get into the speed run, I just want to let everybody know, show notes for today and every show that I do are available at behindtheshot.tv. Just find the episode you're looking for. I write a little blog post about my guest, small sample gallery of their work. All the links that we talk about are there as well. They are down below the like and subscribe button on YouTube. So make sure that you, you head down there. You can find any links that you want. It's not the whole blog post there, but most of it's there. And I want to close out with something I do every show. I call it the speed round. I'll hit you with a question. Just answer it however it comes to your mind. What is your okay. top photography tip? Yowzer. At the end of the day, it's it's really going to come down to composition. It okay. really is. It's it's going to come down to what you're standing in front of and and then how you frame it. It that's what it's coming down to. If you're standing in front of something amazing, you're halfway there. And then if yeah. you compose it well, you're all the way there. That's really, at the end of the day, you can narrow all the other stuff down. It comes down to what you're standing in front of and how you compose it. Top portfolio tip. <sighs> Limit the number <laughs> of images. I didn't say they were going to be easy. Use. Limit the images you're going to use. Um, I, in any category, so I shoot multiple things. I shoot travel. I shoot people. I shoot sports. 
no more than 24 images in, in any category. Because once you get past that number, you had your you showed your top 24, and then number 25 and 26 are your second best images and all that kind of. And if you don't have 24 A images, stop at 20, stop at 18. Okay. Favorite composition rule if you have one. My favorite composition rule. It, it's not really a rule. It's a concept that I call working the scene. For whatever scene you're standing in front of, there is an ideal composition where the light just looks right and the angles and it all comes together. Your job is to find that. You're not going to walk up and take one shot and go, perfect. I nailed it first time. It made, if, if something drew you to that area, to that scene, there's something there. Your job is to be photo detective and find what angle makes what I'm standing in front of look fantastic. Photo detective. I love that. Favorite source of inspiration? Uh, Instagram. I love to go to Instagram and I, I, I don't follow a ton of people. I follow you, Steve. <laughs> but I don't follow a lot of people there. But I, I, I have a very, very clean feed of great photographers. And I get very, very inspired by seeing their work. Uh, I get inspired. I get jealous. Sometimes I feel like throwing all my gear in the trash uh, after looking at some of the amazing images that are there. But that's, that is my number one source is to go to Instagram uh, and, and just look at other people's images. Okay. And you have what I consider to be one of the absolute best, if not the best, about page. And so these final <laughs> questions, because that is really that good, people, you need to go read this thing, okay? Thank you. These questions are kind of based on that. Your favorite band or performer? Oh, that's a tough one. That's tough. I, I love so many bands. Uh, I'm going to choose Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I'm reading Kenny's oh. biography right now. Uh, and I, I've always, I've always loved him. So I was, I was a, a, a total rock head when I was younger, Steve. And I went to a jam session. I was a drummer and I went to a jam session and there was a conga player there. And afterwards we went to back to his house. He goes, I want to turn you on to this album. It's Kenny Loggins. And I'm, I'm thinking of Loggins and Messina and I'm like, right. oh, that's not the my Hobby stuff. Law, one of my he favorite goes, songs. Yeah, that's a great song. He goes, let me put on this, this album of Kenny Loggins's called Celebrate Me Home, and it was his first solo album. And I just read the chapter about it in the book. The book is fantastic about his life. What a charmed, interesting, fascinating life he's led. But, um, and, and it changed that, it, it changed me that day. That was it. I was, that was the end of my, I'm a dumb rocker drummer thing. And, and of course, now I, I play keyboards and guitar. Uh, but that was it. That was, that album was a, a you know, a, so I'm going to go with Kenny Loggins. He's, uh, and you know what, Steve, this is going to be stupid, but you've, I saw you at, at NAM in Los Angeles yep. right before COVID, a month before COVID. January, I saw yeah. you at the National Association of Musical Merchants show out in LA. I saw Steve there in Anaheim, in Anaheim. Yep. Saw Steve there. Well, Steve, when I was uh, 19 or uh, 19, 18 years old, I went to the Atlanta NAM. And I, I've been calling, I worked for, I worked at a music store. So I was the assistant manager of a music store in Lakeland, Florida. 
And uh, I would call my Warner rep all the time because they were the ones that did the Celebrate Me Home Mail. And I said, are you ever going to publish a book of the sheet music of that song? Because I wasn't good enough on piano to pick it out by ear like I could now. I just, there was no way I was going to get it. And I showed up at there and I went by the Warner booth to say hi to my rep that I talk all the time. And she had that book. She had the first copy of Celebrate Me Home. And she gave it to me as a gift. And Ooh. I still have it. It is in my piano bench right in the other room. That was, I was, I was 18 years old. So this was 17 years ago. It was a few years ago. But I, that, that, I'm going to say Kenny Loggins. I'm going with Kenny Loggins. Favorite drink. He's really. Oh, Diet Coke. That's <laughs> the worst. It's the worst thing to have. It's I just picked it up worst. and it dripped all over my keyboard. Oops. Yeah, I live Diet on Diet Coke. Coke. Favorite Diet movie Coke. and favorite TV show. Oh gosh, I love I love so many movies, but if I have to you're making me choose one, I'm going to choose Love Actually because I oh. watch it every year. Good. I good love pick. that show. That show just warms my heart. Even though parts of it are sad, most of it's really sweet and loving and it's it's a great comedy and and I love Hugh Grant, who has a great role in it. He's got my favorite. It's many, many stories all at once. Um, and favorite TV show? I mean, if I had to choose one, like, historically, it's either Game of Thrones or Seinfeld. <laughs> that's, wow. That's a very diverging. But, you know, Game of Thrones was so good, and it's not my kind of show at all. I don't like gore, and I don't like violence and all, but... And that show had lots of gore and violence and disturbing things, but it was so good. See, for me, the it would be Seinfeld or Breaking Bad. Oh, Breaking Bad's good. I'm watching. I'm watching Better Call Saul right now. Oh, I, you I'm haven't finished it? One. I'm in season one. Oh, I just dude, started wait, it. Wait till you get to see. There is an episode. I don't want to spoil anything. There is an episode in season six that will make you literally jump out of your seat. You'll know it when it happens because you'll jump out of your seat. Wow. Uh, I asked Eric Kuna the other really? day, he was on recently. Um, I asked him this question in your honor at the time. So I have to ask you as of this moment, what is your favorite sure. chicken sandwich? Whew, that's a tough one. I, for, I those that do, for those just... that don't know, Scott has literally done blog posts about the best chicken yeah, sandwich. Yeah, I'm a chicken sandwich aficionado. I'm going to probably have to go with, so the Outback Steakhouse has created a new chain what? called the Outback. Yeah. They created a fast food chain, right? And it's, it's, uh, it's called, oh, what's it called? The something grill. Uh, but it, it is, it, you know, it looks like a Wendy's or whatever, but it's an Outback. And they have a Sriracha chicken sandwich Ooh. that is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And it is, and I've tried them all. Now, I, I started with me loving Popeyes. Like somebody turned me on to Popeyes chicken sandwich. And I was kind of like, I don't know. And oh my gosh. But uh, since then, I'm telling you what, see, that is, it is a, and it's the biggest chicken sandwich. The chicken extends out from the bun in every direction. And it's just so good. And the sriracha and the, their homemade pickles that go on it, they're just, they're like garlic dill. It's, I got to find this place. All right. Final question. I I, I would be remiss if I didn't oh, ask you this. It's the Aussie Grill. It's called the Aussie Grill. Aussie Grill. And that is, okay. 
I buy out that. that I don't know if that's in California. I got to look. It's not there yet. Well, actually, it, it is in California, but it, they are not physical. It is a ghost kitchen. Oh. So they are testing it in California, and there's ghost kitchens. So if you go and look, uh, if you go to like you know DoorDash or something, you'll see it there. But you can't drive up to them like we can in Florida. Right. Outback's based in Tampa, right where we're at. So that's why they're everywhere here. So new I gotta, chain. I got to find that one. So final question. Ooh, I ask this of every guest, and if I people are going to want to know this from you, and uh -oh. that is, and we've talked about a bunch of you know photographers that that you admire, but is there a photographer out there right now? that you think deserves more attention that more people should know about and follow? Gosh, I have a handful of those because I've been, I've been wanting to write a blog post about, about it. Um, oh, why don't we do that? If you write a blog post, send me the link and I'll add it to the show notes. Yeah. I, I and I want to do it. I'll, I'm going to give you one, a Dan Steinhardt. So Dan and, and a lot of people know Dan, but don't really know him. He is the, he's the Epson guy. If you go to Epson's booth, there's Dano. He is like the Epson printer guy, and I've known him forever. Dano is a phenomenal street photographer. Let me tell you how good Dano is. Jay Mazel, you know what he said of Dano? This guy's got it. Wow. When Jay says this guy's got it, Jay doesn't throw out a lot of compliments, bro. I'm telling you, Dano is as good a street photographer, I believe, as there is out there today. Dano is just, I don't know how he does it. Dude, he shoots with his phone. He shoots with his, his, his Canon camera. He is just a tremendous, grossly underrated photographer. Okay, right I there. will make sure I put Dan links Steinhardt, me. to Dan in, in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv so you can head there, find all the links that we talk about, including how people can find you uh, your blog post is scottkelby.com. Uh, of course, there's Kelby One. Go check out that classic Kelby One. And by the way, if you go to behindtheshot.tv, I've got a discount code page, and I do have a discount code uh, for, for Kelby One that you can use as well. And then on most socials, Facebook's the exception, uh, you're Scott Kelby on most socials, and I've been putting them up. And again, all the links will, you know, everything Scott is at behindtheshot.tv. Yay. Hey, I do have one thing that's kind of cool coming up. I didn't mention earlier. Yeah, what is it? Um, I'm doing my first live one day seminar since nineteen since 2019. I'm oh. doing in Orlando, Florida, in, in August, at the Orange County Convention Center. Uh, they have a beautiful theater, an actual theater, very very nice. It's limited number of seats. Uh, you go to Kelby One Live and grab one of those tickets, and uh, it's going to be great. I'm doing the Ultimate Photography Crash Course. So okay. uh, it's not for advanced people. It's for everybody else. But uh, it's it's based on a, uh, Eric Kuna you mentioned. Uh, Eric and I were having lunch one day, and we were talking about if we had one day to spend with somebody, just one day, and we really wanted to make them better at photography, like what can I do to give them a jump to the next level, but in just one day? Like the two of you are together. What would you tell them? What would you show them? What would you teach them? And Eric and I put together a whole seminar based on that. And that's what I'm teaching. When is it? So it's uh, coming. It is August something. Okay. <laughs> I think it's August 13th. I'd Kelby have to go to Kelby One live, live and look. But it's Orlando, Florida at the Orange County Convention Center. And I'm going to be now, if you can't go, you can watch the live stream. We're also, so it's live stream or in person. 
Of course, if you're there in person, I would love to get to meet you and all that. But uh, anyway, the, but there's only going to be, I think, I think there's only seating for 160 people. Okay. Uh, so we just, it just went on sale this week and it's already filling up quickly. So I hope, uh, hope some folks will come out and see me in Orlando. I, I can't wait to get out and do it again. It's, I haven't been able to do anything since, you know, much since 2019. So this is my first one day live seminar. I used to do 20 a year. Done one. This will be the first one since 2019. And what's the URL again? Kelby1live.com. Kelby1live.com. I will put that link in the show notes behind the shot.tv. Thank you. Again, all the links are also in the description on uh, on YouTube down, you know, you know where the description is. Chapter markers are down there too. Scott, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This went longer than I expected. I so appreciate your time, how busy you are. By the way, everybody's going to say you didn't ask him. Why didn't you ask him? Will you ever do Photoshop World in person again, do you think? Or, or Steve, is, we came, is the we came so close? Is the online so successful that it it makes no sense? I would still do both. But Steve, I miss Photoshop World like you can't believe. That was the single most fun thing I got to do every year. I love Photoshop World. It's and the we, network. We had a we had a venue and we had everything all set up to do it. And we had a wonderful place and everything was going great. But Steve. When we started adding everything up, the the costs of, you know, the cost of everything is more, but the the costs, I don't know what happened to the industry of doing live events. It, it's a staggering amount. It, it, was, it was too much to risk because right now live events aren't pulling what they were. They're pulling right. about 40 to 50%, maybe 60 of what they did in 2019. If, if we don't, you know, have a good turnout, you know, it's, it's, it's Photoshop worlds are wildly expensive. They're well over a million dollars to put on a Photoshop world. And if it doesn't work out, you're left holding a pretty big banana. So it's, uh, it's just, it was just too risky, but we were so close. We all, we had done site inspections. We met with AV companies with everything, but when accounting finally came to us and they're like, there's no way this is going to work. We just couldn't seat enough people, and we don't, didn't know if we were going to get enough people. So I was I'm surprised in February. I'm next year, things they did WPPI last August, and they did it again in February. And I'm like, you guys are idiots! I can't believe you're doing this this soon. And I got a, I was shocked. There were a good amount of people at WPPI in February, less than six months after they did it last year. Um, now was there it were, but their numbers were way off from what they used to be. Exactly. And so because we don't charge a lot for Photoshop World, we have to have the numbers. So that's that's the and and, and believe me, Steve, nobody wants it back more than I do. It was the most fun thing I, I did. And there's people I only see at Photoshop World, friends that I only see, you know, at Photoshop World and stuff. And so I, I miss it and Eric misses it. My whole company misses it because we emptied out the offices would all go over and work the show, whether it was in Vegas or Orlando or Tampa or LA, wherever we did it, we'd empty the whole crew out. And it was something the whole company looked forward to all year. So it is a, it's a missing part. And, and I, I would love to see it come back next year, but we're watching very carefully what right. all the other events are doing. And when the numbers come back, then we'll be able to do it. But until we get back to pretty much pre COVID numbers, it's just too risky. It's just too much money. It's, 
Photoshop worlds cost a lot, Steve. Yeah, no, <laughs> they believe cost me. A lot. They cost I, a lot. They don't make a lot, but they yeah. they're worth it, you know. They're they're such a great event, you know. It's a, I it's I can imagine. Again, Scott, it. thank you so so much. Oh, my pleasure, Steve. Thank, and remember, you don't need a special topic. Steve, just anytime you send an email, I am 100% there. I, I will I will hit you up more often because talking to Scott Kelby is like one of the highlights of my year. Uh, thank you so oh, much to him me. again for doing this. <laughs> it is so appreciated. If you want the show notes for this show, behindtheshot.tv, just head over there, find this show. I've got a bit that I wrote about Scott. I've got a small gallery of his work. All the links are over there as well. If you want to follow me anywhere, it's at Steve Brazel. It's like the country Brazil, but two L's. Uh, the podcast is pretty much at Behind the Shot TV, anywhere that it exists. I don't really use Facebook anymore, but the accounts are still there. You can go look at them if you want to. And of course, on YouTube, hit subscribe, hit like if you like the show, leave any comments or questions that you've got down in the comments below. But as always, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you join us next time as we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind the shot. Yeah.